Welcome to Tachlis Talks, and it's been a long time since we have done a Shalom Bias booster. We're going to do one today. Shalom Bias, we've described before, often translated as peace in the home, but far more than peace. Peace is no war, no strife, no battle, no tension. That's not yet Shalom. Shalom related to Shalem of completion. Shalom, one of God's names describing the source of all harmony, how every aspect of the universe works in sync with all other aspects. Shalom is a sense that there is comfort, there's harmony, things are running smoothly. And even though there are differences between the two spouses, there are differences between parent and child, there are differences between the different individuals that make up the bias and make up the home, but we work in sync with each other. We have a common goal, common direction, and we realize that we complement each other. If we complement with an I, often it helps us complement each other, but by the fact that we understand that we complement each other, and I will not always have every piece in place that you want me to have, etc., but we can work with each other and head in the right direction comfortably, harmoniously. That's Shalom Bias, and our Shalom Bias boosters are meant to help give tools to get us to accomplish that goal. Insights today really are all called, or mostly will be coming from a book of the biography of Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky of the great Torah sages, incredible scholars of the last century, uh, just an unbelievable person in terms of his intellectual capacity, but also unusually capable of discerning human nature and grasping human nature. Uh, so much so at one point, one of the uh, the local secular department, uh, a, a, a psychology um, association where he was living in upstate New York, reached out to him to ask if he wanted to apply for membership because they heard that he was of the most popular counselors in that region. He was giving counsel not due to his training in psychology, but due to his incredible mastery of Torah and the incredible gift God gave him of really grasping uh, human nature, how people operate. Within this biography, there's a section dedicated to marriage, how he viewed marriage, how he helped guide people towards successful marriages. And I want to share some of the insights that he has in here. They call here the first halacha, the first law that he demanded of every husband. And sorry, guys, a lot of this is going to be, I think, more top-heavy on the demands of the guys today. But the first halacha for Esme husband is to be a gentleman, meaning to continually ask oneself what does my wife need? And how can I give it to her without her having to ask for it? He goes on to describe that you can't assume that she's going to always ask for her needs. For a variety of reasons, she may not. But it does not absolve you of filling those needs. From the time of the chuppah, all thinking must be done in terms of we, not I. And as such, I'm something bigger than simply myself and I have to keep that in mind. That actually really fits with what he calls here his second rule. And that is that for the most part, on average, typically, of course, are exceptions, women tend to be more um, emotional, more driven by their feelings. And men, for the most part, tend to be within a couple uh, a little bit less driven by feelings or emotion. They're often gifted, hopefully are gifted, with intellect, and they are expected to use that intellect to figure out what is that emotion that my wife is exhibiting? What is that feeling? And what is it ultimately 
um, revealing about her need. How can I use my intellect to figure out how to allow her to not be stressed or distressed? How can I boost her sense of comfort, pleasure, appreciation, and use my intellect to grasp her emotional needs and to work with them to understand what to be doing? Third element, when there's a disagreement, you typically tell the men in a classic Jewish setting, a classic Jewish wedding, the ksuba is unidirectional, husband to wife. The responsibilities ascribed to the ksuba are the man's responsibilities to his wife. There is no ksuba in a classic traditional wedding the other direction. And as such, you in that ksuba accepted the Aramaic is often tricky to read, but if you understood what you were signing on over there or what was being signed in front of you, you accepted to honor her. Aside from the financial responsibilities and all the other technical responsibilities, but you accepted to honor her. Your accepting to honor her creates a strong presumption in favor of the husband acceding to his wife's wishes. If there is a challenge and she's going to be distressed, disturbed, frustrated, if it yields in the direction you would like, but you committed to honor her, that means you typically have to yield to the direction that she would favor. Of course, there are exceptions, but this is the starting point. I had a case recently of a couple where um, there was an issue of him transferring to a different job, and that job was going to be, in the wife's eyes, belittling them as a family. It was a position where, uh, I'll pick an example, it's a parallel example, where he would now be uh, kind of serving as the butler slash waiter slash uh, assistant and gopher to a lot of her peers. So he's in a play position within this uh, you know, structure of this business where he was going to be seeing you know, her friends will be kind of using him as their go-to person to get things done, but in a de- like kind of more demeaning aspects of the business rather than more sophisticated. And that was going to create an imbalance for her between her and her friends. It was a distress, a distressing situation. He didn't have to shift to that post, but there were reasons why he would have appreciated some factors about that. But Rav Yaakov, in this book they describe, counseled men not to take jobs that their wives considered demeaning for them. Um, even if technically the jobs were, were suitable. Um, the man had to appreciate his wife's need to see her husband as a respected member of the community for his sake and for her sake. And throughout, they describe many situations where he himself would do everything he could to not uh, have his own life. He actually later in life married a second time. Uh, he was blessed with a very, very long life. And uh, to remember correctly, well, to his 90s, uh, very, very active and, and certainly guiding uh, the community and really many aspects of the Jewish community nationally, internationally, until well into his 90s. Uh, but the degree to which he would yield, they bring a very cute anecdote where uh, somebody was together with them at a wedding. Uh, Rabbi Avram Greenfield was with Rabbi Kamenetsky at a wedding, and he saw that Mrs. Kamenetsky, Revinson Kamenetsky, was trying to get her husband's attention. So he uh, pointed it out. And Rabbi Kamenetsky went over and asked what would the Rebbitson want. Interesting, when they talked in front of other people, they always talked to each other in the third person. We can discuss that another time, that sense of honor and, and reverence. But what does the Rebbitson want? She responded, I'd like to know when the Rav wants to leave, when you, Rabbi Kamenetsky, would like to leave. 
Oh, whenever the Rebbitzin wishes. Well, I want to leave when the Rav wants to go. He said back to her, the Gemara states that in spiritual matters, my opinion might prevail, but in everyday matters, yours must. So it would appear that our determination when to leave the wedding is a, a, a general everyday matter, and as such, I've got to yield to your view. So she responded, but listening to a great rabbi is heavenly matters, so it has to follow you. In that case, he said, my mili deshmaya, my heavenly matters approach, says we should follow your desires. If so, I'd like to stay another half hour, she responded, and he said, fine, we'll stay another half hour. The rabbi who was recording this noted that he had understood that Rabbi Kamenetsky actually was ready to leave when his wife was about to signal him, but his wife wanted to stay. And again, just the, the, that type of a dialogue, the, the cordial graciousness, and again, the esteem that they're really showing for each other, very, very special. Fascinating um, closing section to this um, chapter. Nothing better expressed Rabbi Yaakov Kamnetsky's extreme modesty than his abhorrence of having people stand for him when he entered a room. But there was a time when he made an exception even in this. Rabbi Yaakov Kamnetsky and Reb Schneer Cutler, the Rosh Hashiva of the famed uh, Lakewood Yeshiva, they were preparing to enter the main hall during an annual convention of the good of Israel. Rabbi Cutler suggested they enter from the side in order to avoid anyone standing for them. But Rabbi Kamenetsky shocked him by rejecting the suggestion. No, 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 let's walk straight through. The whole audience will stand. Our wives are present. It will give them pleasure to see everyone honoring us. It makes it easier for them to put up with the constant intrusions in our time throughout the year and the incredible degree to which people of his caliber are, are taxed by community and are approached whenever and wherever with all types of communal questions and personal questions and communal needs, let them have the pleasure of seeing that the entire audience is standing for us as much as, and again, anybody who reads more about Rabbi Kamenetsky or had other interaction with him, his absolute unbelievable modesty and how he would go out of his way to not have people give attention to him, famous for playing with little children and, and, and acting in manners that were very, very, very super approachable and super down to earth, but for my wife's sake, that she should have the pleasure of seeing that I'm honored, let, I'll suffer that indignity, I'll walk through, and, uh, and the ironic indignity, because for him it was painful to, to have that level of honor, but to have that happen for his wife's sake. Taking the messages to heart, and again, guys, a little bit heavy on you today, but we can all take the message to heart, the overall theme of the fact I'm part of something bigger. I'm part of a we. I'm not just myself. And as such, I'm constantly tuned to the other. And I'm recognizing the other might have needs. Am I anticipating them? Am I reacting to them? Building the attitude towards Shalom can be a very significant starting point. And it goes far beyond our marriages as well. We're more Shalom-infused personalities, more Shalom-focused personalities. This will probably bring blessing in many, many different spheres of our lives. Let's all aim to get there take these steps to try uh, climbing that ladder of shalom. Questions, comments, concerns, ideas, thoughts for uh, future issues, questions, please send to coaching at gmail. And have shalom filled, safe, healthy rest of your week and a great Shabbos.